tuck 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 Welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 67. With me, as always, my two indestructible hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Yay, I have a keyword ability. Woo! And also Brian Perlman. I would rather be unblockable. Well, you can't. I can't. Blocked. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, I can be, I can't be blocked. Well, that's just as good. We'll get to that. You know, I never say my own name anymore. Have you guys noticed? I'm CJ Schrader. We don't care. Yeah, no one cares. No one cares. If you want to know our names, they're on the website, judgecast.com. Let's dive right into our news. First off, we have a new level three because we always announce a new level three every episode now. That is uh, Jason Flatford because Roanoke, yeah. Virginia needed more level threes. <laughs> Congrats, Jason. Woo. And then, Brian, you added some stuff to this news, so you talk I about did. those. All right. So for those of you who are getting our podcast through the MTG Cast Network, you may have noticed that there was an ad before you got to listen to C.J. Schrader's sultry voice. Ooh, sultry. Sultry, indeed. Yes. Um, so this is a uh, new, relatively new thing. It's been out for about a week or so. Uh, the MTG Cast Network, in an effort to actually pay for the infrastructure that they uh, that they maintain, have begun uh, uh, prepending ads to the beginning of all the podcasts that you get uh from their from their servers uh so we here at JudgeCast uh uh really are just kind of like eh it's a free (laughs) i mean really it's a free service yeah to be more specific the fact that it's a free service makes me pretty much fully support them trying to monetize it in this fashion that being said i would like to throw out the disclaimer that we have no idea what the ad is going to be yeah and we in JudgeCast does not endorse that ad Right. I mean, right now it's quiet speculation. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's no big deal, but it could change at any time. And it could I, be on all of our episodes. As long as it's not like, you Judge know. Judge Cast North. Yeah, as long as it's not this podcast brought to you by Judge Cast North. <laughs> um, I think. Or maybe like kittens.com because dogs are so much better than cats. Oh, uh, let's not. Let's not. Start that. Let's not start that conversation that again. Conversation. <laughs> so a couple and a couple things to add to that. Oh, add. Get it. Um, Is. First off, if you want to listen to our shows without ads, you can do that at judgecast.com. There is yep. there's no problem there. Uh, we we have they have there's an RSS feed there. You can subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. I don't believe we have an iTunes feed yet. It's not working, but I have worked on that. Uh, secondly, even though this is not related to judging at all, I do feel uh, nec- I feel it's necessary to mention that limited resources due to due to a sponsorship conflict has left MTG Cast, and as one of the biggest shows out there, uh, there could be a lot of people out there who listen to them and are not aware of this. So if you want your limited resources, you got to get them at lrcast.com now, because I'm a big limited resources fan, and I was sad to see that. So we need to start doing cracker packs. Ooh, ooh, there's we, a there's there, an opening. There's an opening, <laughs> and we can fill it. 
we're gonna do actually we tried to do uh a uh, crack a pack like judge crack a pack uh when we had a uh, louks on yeah it was miserable it, it was because we opened it up and we're like oh this card's really not interesting yeah oh this card's not interesting either uh and it was really until you got to the rare that we were like "Ooh, uh now <laughs> let's think of now let's think of rules questions all right this next episode hard. we'll do a modern masters crack pack will we yeah we'll just have some website generated. you're gonna crack it over you're gonna be crack it open it's gonna be part of dragon and we're just gonna sit there and be like let's talk about may triggers that your opponent <laughs> can decide all right what else so, um also since we last recorded uh the good folks at uh star city games sent the judges who uh, uh worked uh, uh uh gp charlotte a care package so gp charlotte was the largest grand prix to date uh foreshadowing dun 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 <laughs> um yeah, foreshadowing uh, and, vegas let's just say it vegas <laughs> will be larger well that's what we're going to talk about next we're going to talk about, okay spoilers. Uh, this, spoilers so in in this care pack so i want to say thank you to the star city guys uh, what they sent us was they sent us uh, the judges who worked the event a shirt that basically is funny. The back of it has like a, a, a splatter with the number of number of players in the event and like tire treads over the splatter like you'd just been run over, which was kind of amusing because that's kind of the how it felt. <laughs> um, uh, they gave the judges six months of premium. Uh, uh, they gave uh the 10 judge reward points uh they did uh tokens whatever uh and then uh the pin and so this this is a, a thank you to uh, uh brian spellman who coordinated that sean copeland who d- did the initial design for the pen but brian spellman basically took the took the design coordinated to get pins made that says i survived gp charlotte fronted the money and then star city just was like hey this is a good idea we're gonna basically buy you out brian and we will handle the we will handle the distribution and send them out with the special stuff that we're doing for judges so really really nice thank you sean thank you brian spellman thank you star city uh for the generous uh care package now that being said uh what what you gonna do for us gp vegas huh because uh, it's looking like you're going to blow this record out of the water. How do you like that for a segue? Huh? It is. Like, I feel like you they just got... continued talking about the same thing. You didn't really segue into something new. I'm, I'm segueing into something new. Okay. So, <laughs> as of yesterday, and yesterday was the uh, June the 3rd, 1,200 people had pre-registered for GP Vegas. And we're still like Ooh, three I forgot. Out. Let me go make that 1201 right now. <laughs> I said like approximately. I think I think it's going to be capped out at fourteen hundred. Call me right now. Talk. You are so high. <laughs> so so they sent out uh, uh, an email saying that they uh, they've changed they've added some stuff to the to the Friday schedule. They need uh, more judges on Friday. So if you have if you applied and were accepted to the event, uh, uh, send an email through Judge Apps. Uh, if you weren't accepted, uh, I don't know if they're accepting outside solicitations because um, there's something like 120-ish judges 
on not on staff but they have like various waves of like here's eight judges and if we reach like 2700 then these eight judges get activated and if we hit 2900 then these eight judges get activated and if we hit 31000 then all all the judges are activated in the whole world like all 4000 like, like they're robots that you just you press a button and they well, charge up well, you yeah, activate them yeah. and then and then after you activate them you like Voltron them together into super judges and it's pretty sweet like is this a new thing you're going to see as players at the grand prix in vegas is voltron judges it's the solution i kind of was having like the little the board alcoves yeah exactly that's exactly what i was also 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 cool uh you you call a judge they come out of the wall Or they just pop out. They just they just crawl out from under the table. They were there the whole time. <laughs> they were there the whole time. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And they have a single consciousness. They know whether or not you've gotten warnings in the past. <laughs> exactly. That would actually be really bad. Like if like, the if if you make a judge call and then the judge just comes up and the little the little Borg tentacle thing like shoots out of their wrist and just gets you in the neck. And then the judge is like, oh, okay, well, here's your ruling because I just downloaded everything. By the way, would you like to take an L1 test now? Yes, I would like to take an L1 test. <laughs> I think you don't fully understand how the Borg assimilate things, but let's uh, dive into They don't drain their memories. Hold like on, hold on, boss. CJ. Yes? Please enlighten us. How do the Borg assimilate things? The Borg assimilate things by... In this fictional world where they're going to be GP Vegas. They, they put tubes into your neck and it, and, and it, it, um, it puts the Borg, uh, what do they call them, nanites or whatever, into your bloodstream, yeah. which then, is, then assimilates your body slowly over time. It's well, starting with slowly. you wanting to be starting with you wanting to become a level one judge. That's how the assimilation process starts. Yeah, but you don't get all their we, memories immediately. It takes a little while to become assimilated. Well, the little the little nanites run up the tube and grab hold of the memories and run back down the <laughs> tube. Come on, <laughs> come on, man. All right, can we get come into our on. main topic? Can we get into our main topic? You know when wait, wait, wait. when the when board they retcon- is our main topic. <laughs> No, next episode. When they when they did the Star Trek movie last year, and like the, uh, the, uh, the Romulan guy came back and changed the timeline, I'm talking about new Borg. I'm talking about retconned Borg. They have little dudes in the tubes that uh, are run up. But Borg traveled back in time in first contact, so they existed during Star Trek Enterprise time, which means the Borg that we know now exists at the same time. So like that, the Borg's timeline has not been changed because they're in yes. the Delta Quadrant. All right. Stop talking. M14 thing. rules changes. Let's talk about them. <laughs> Speaking of continuity changes, <laughs> this is going to retcon a bunch of cards, actually. But I know, really. Uh, so I have a couple I'd like to talk about when we get there, but I know we're not doing that first. So let's. Would you yeah. say Star Trek uh, Into Darkness uh, retconned uh, Star Trek history? Spoilers. Uh, so that's, hey, just, that's not even that. cool. What? That's hilarious. No, because you know they they anybody who hasn't seen it doesn't know yet. Correct, like me, Brian. We need to talk about rules changes. We okay, we cannot keep doing this. Um, why do we get on off on such tangent for things that Brian. start with star? <laughs> All right, for those of people living under a rock, Matt Tabak announced uh, last weekish that there are going to be rules changes coming when M14 is released. When is that? July 13th. What does that mean? Everything we're about to talk about does not apply until July 13th. Up until July 13th, please keep playing how you're playing right now. But once M14 comes out, 
What? So how's that, how that going to affect the pre-release? As I understand it, it's an effect for the pre-release. Should be. When's the pre-release? Okay. So it's actually for the pre-release, not for the release. Because you said it was, it was with the M14 release. Oh, I just want to clarify. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. The stuff like is uh, like the indestructible stuff. I mean, that kind of has to be right because the cards are going to say, you know, this card is indestructible. Yeah. No, uh, I, so I get, it's just pre-errata. I get what you're saying, Jess. Yeah, I meant to say uh, the pre-release, not the release. Okay, I, I just don't want anybody listening to be confused yeah. about where it is, and I actually didn't know for sure, so... Yeah, I just looked up the okay. date of the pre-release, which is July if 3rd. Open an, if you open an Oracle of Moldiah and an Explore... Hey, no, we'll get there. Oh. So, let's talk about the first change, which I think is kind of the most boring one, but it's kind of interesting for judges. Is uh, So, the way sideboarding exists today, or your deck exists today, is you have to have at least 60 cards in your deck, and then your sideboard, you have to have exactly 0 or 15 cards. Four. For constructed. For constructed. For constructed. The change they're going to make is that now your sideboard can be anywhere from zero up to 15 cards. So you could have a 13 card sideboard if you wanted. And on top of that, you no longer need to sideboard one for one. So that that brings sideboarding uh, in constructed in line with sideboarding in limited, where in limited you could have a 40 card deck and you could sideboard into a 43 card deck if you wanted to, if you were a bad player. In uh, constructed, now you can do the exact same bad play. You can be bad and constructed too. So if you wanted to, you could have uh, you could submit a sixty card deck with a fifteen card sideboard, and then in game two, you could have a 63, 63 card deck and twelve card sideboard. So still, uh, uh, the same total number of cards. Right. Okay. Uh, the the difference is the main thing is your uh, your main deck can't be below sixty. And what, uh, your sideboard cannot yeah, go over you, 50. Your sideboard can't go over 50. So you yeah, can't, you can't do this cute thing where you're like, all right, I'm going to start with a battle of wits deck. It's 250 cards. And then I'm a sideboard down to a 60 card aggro deck. If the last second doesn't work, because yeah. then you have more than 15 cards in your sideboard. Wouldn't it be ridiculous like, if you could, though? You'd be like, my, my main deck is just like the four top decks. And then I'll just sideboard into whatever Side, deck beats sideboard yours. Sideboard into whatever beats yours. That's actually pretty sweet. <laughs> but but um, you can't do that. <laughs> Nope. So uh, it's a funny story about this, actually. Um, I've run a couple of competitive events since this announcement, uh, competitive constructed events. And at each one I've announced, you may have heard some about, about some rules changes. Uh, those are not in effect until July 13th. And I also, during my opening announcements, tend to, to tell them to check their deck list and make sure there's 60 or more cards and exactly 15 or zero cards. And in every single one of these events, I've had people raise their hand and go, but I thought you could have up to 15 now. And I went, that is not until July 13th. And they looked down at their paper in this dead panic. <laughs> and they look up at me and go, can I add basic lands? Yes. 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 So, yes, so let's. So let's talk about let's talk about deck deck checks in a post July thirteenth world. Okay. Okay. So when you're checking lists now, okay. Well, let's let's talk about two two things that this does is right now if a player if you're checking lists and you find a player with a thirteen card or a fourteen card sideboard, okay. Right now they're getting a deck deck list problem. They're getting a game loss. Also, if you do a mid round against a person and you find that they sideboarded improperly and they have a 61 card deck and a 14 card sideboard they are also getting uh, a game loss 
So I, I get the feeling that that this this change is predominantly meant to address that last case. And I think Tabak in his rules article was like, basically, the only thing this gets you is it avoids that game loss. Yeah. It also it also uh, prevents the guys who are building their deck and they really can't decide on that that 15th card. And they're too lazy to go get a swamp or a plains or something like that, you know, Uh so it helps it helps them out a little bit. But let's say you're on doing a deck check and you find a guy and he's only got 14 cards on his sideboard. You know, what are you, are you gonna are you gonna go check that guy's deck? You know, like no. I mean, it's you're saying when you're counting lists, you discover 14 yeah, cards sideboard. Yeah, you discover 14. Like you know, like right now, if you if you're counting lists and you see a, and you count up 61 cards in a guy's deck. You know, and he doesn't write down a total number. Kind of makes you raise an eyebrow. Yeah. Okay. You 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 know you you're probably not gonna go look, but you might if you have a lot of free time. You know, I kind of see that a 14 card sideboard is gonna be the same. Yeah, I think we're just gonna see how much it actually happens. Because I mean, it's strategically speaking, I don't see any advantage of having less than 15 cards in your sideboard. It, the, the whole reason I think they there is to, if you're cheating. If you're cheating, yes. Well, right. See, that's why. That's why. Like right now, Sudor is down fourteen cards in their sideboard. Uh, even even if it's not against the rules, I'm probably checking it if I have time because they they might be trying to pull the. Well, I actually have seventeen cards I want to play in my sideboard, and I don't know which one's best until I've seen what the field looks like. Right, and that's true. But truthfully, they can kind of do that today. Well, they can't because if they only write down fourteen cards. Right, but if they write down fifteen right. cards and you just don't happen to randomly deck check them, they they get away. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it's it's the the potential for advantage is kind of the same in the sense that you weren't going to know unless you did it unless you got them in a random deck check, which is why boys and girls we try and do random deck checks for at least ten percent of the field. Yeah. Every event. Yeah. At least, and it probably it should be more than that. There's no unless you're severely understaffed. There's no reason you can't hit significantly more than that. Right. Nor- normally, I, I think we try and we try and shoot for somewhere between like eighteen to twenty percent. Is what we shoot for. Yeah. Um. But so so yeah. So that's it. Now, what this does not protect you from it does not protect you from forgetting to decide board or, or presenting uh, a 61 card deck and a 14 card sideboard in game one uh this does not protect you from a 16 card side uh a deck deckless problem for a 16 card sideboard it does not protect you from presenting a 59 card deck uh any of that stuff right okay and really i think the allowing the 14 you know 14 or 12 or whatever is just the consequence of hey you now don't have to side board one to one for one what that means is my sideboard is now you know if i I, if i go 60 15 i go 61 14 that means the rules have to allow me to have a 14 card sideboard yeah that, and that makes sense. And, and I can understand the reasoning there to want to make it in line but, with limited. Yeah. Now, one other thing that's going to happen, uh, at least I think initially, is going to be Judge. I'd like to confirm he only has a 12-card sideboard. Yeah. So, so we're <laughs> handling that. I mean, I think you're handling that. With, if this isn't game one, I think you're handling that with, uh, I can't do that. Right? Like, if it isn't game one, they might have sideboarded in more cards, and you can't give them that information. Uh, you, you can always count your opponent's sideboard. Absolutely, but but you don't know whether they started with thirteen cards or they boarded up. But you're supposed to present your sideboard when you present the deck, so yeah, but, well, maybe hey, I'm missing your point. That, but like, I know. So I present my sideboard for games for game one. You don't count it. 
Okay, I just put it out there in a stack. Okay. In game two, you count it and you go, how come there are only 12 cards here? You don't know if I started with a 12-card sideboard or if I boarded up to uh, 63. And now I just have a 12-card sideboard. Hmm. So you and actually, get, it, and we're, we're probably going to have to wait until if if policy comes comes out. Like, if I, I can count your deck when I pile shuffle, okay? Right. Or I, when, I, when I get your deck to cut it, I can see, like, oh, he's running, you know, he's running 60 cards uh, or he's running 63 cards or something like that. And you can count the person's, you can count the person's sideboard. And so he's like, he's running 63 cards and he has five cards in his sideboard. Okay. So that means he was having a total of 68 cards between his main deck and his sideboard. You know, hey, did maybe he misregistered something because it's a non-standard number. You know, maybe he's, he's, he's fishing at the, at the worst. So, so how do you handle that? If an opponent wants to confirm that, how do you handle it? I have a feeling that we're going to be getting getting those uh, those calls. I I would like to see how policy is going to be updated to address this, you know. But at the particular at the particular point is is going to be like, uh, you know, how many cards are you running? How many cards are you running total? X number of cards. Great. You know, play on. If I don't come back, then everything's fine. Right. All right. I think we will uh, leave that at that. What was that just? I said we'll revisit that one at another point. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess it's important to mention here is that even though we only have an article that says what the changes are going to be, we don't know how policy is going to change to reflect this. We don't have an FAQ with all the exact details of the new rules. Uh, but that being said, we have enough information out there to go ahead and have this show safely. So we're speculating on how policy is going to address it. Yeah. All right. Up next. This is the change. Uh, I think we even talked about it, the possibility of it on last episode. Yes. So we look like uh, we look like Nostradamus here. But indestructible will now be a keyword. Dun, dun, dun. What does that mean? It means that cards that say today creatures you control are indestructible until in the turn will say creatures you control gain indestructible until in the turn and that's it no the more main, changes the main difference here is that turn and burn if you were to turn and burn a creature that has no plus one plus one counters or other continuous effects and that creature is indestructible after the change it will kill that creature uh it there, there are several situations right now where you can give things indestructibility sort of in a way where turn and burn doesn't kill it and i'm not going to go into detail with that because after the change it won't matter yeah yeah and i think that's fine like just like um Say you had a spell that said target creature gets indestructible or gets indestructible and flying, right? Under the current rules, you turn and burn it. It's going to lose flying because that's an ability, but it would actually continue to be indestructible. But after the changes, it would lose both things because both things are abilities. So this this functionally changes how a bunch of cards work. Like interactions will be different now. Because you, you can you can now remove the indestructible ability. Right. Okay. What's what's funny about this and why this is is a good this change is a good thing. Okay. Is because trying to explain how indestructible works is one of those things that you can just sit there and try and explain it and try and explain it. And the L1 or the the person, he just doesn't get it. It's like, but what do you mean? It's in, you know, I should be able to remove it. I don't get the difference between gains and is. Yeah. It, you know. I mean, it has to do with, honestly, if they don't have their layers memorized, it's very difficult to explain it. Right. Uh, if right. you do have their memori- layers memorized, it's actually not that hard to explain. Eh, some some people just, I mean, they, there's this aha moment where it just clicks. And what I want to kind of alluding to is even wizards screwed this up 
Okay. If you remember this card called Dark Depths, I do. Okay. Has the ability, you know, hey, it's seen play in some formats occasionally. Um, has has on it the 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 text on the card. Okay, this is not the oracle text. This is the printed text on the card. Uh, has the ability when Dark Depths has no ice counters on it, sacrifice it. If you do, put an indestructible legendary 2020 black avatar creature token with flying named Merit Lage into play. Okay, it's a mouthful. Put an indestructible legendary 2020 black avatar creature token with flying named Merit Lage into play. Okay, in that ability, the Merit Lage token does not actually have, in that wording, does not have the ability, I am indestructible. It just is indestructible. But on the token that they gave out, that they printed uh, and gave out at the Cold Snap pre-release is the Merit Lage token. It is a legendary creature. It is an avatar. It is 2020. And it has two abilities. Flying and Merit Lage is indestructible. So it actually has, you can turn and burn or, or just just that right there. The the token, what's printed on the token could in essence be turn and burn, but the ability that created the, what the token represents couldn't be. Right. So they eroded Dark Depths to match the printed token. So they actually changed turn and burn, or, or sorry, they changed Dark Depths to give the creature the ability this creature is indestructable. But after they screwed, they screwed up. Yeah. After M14, there will be no difference. Right. After M14, they got it right. You know, maybe, maybe they, maybe they're changing this rule because they just can't live with the shame of having made that mistake all them years ago. I, I think they're changing it just because a lot of players didn't understand it. And they're retconning. <laughs> so they're just moving it back. <laughs> it's retcon. All right. Oh, it also means like cards like Dark Steel Mirror will only have like one word on them. When they used to say Dark Steel Mirror is indestructible, now they'll just say indestructible, and that's exciting. Hey, let's go to the next change, which is not a change at all. Everywhere where cards said blah, blah, blah is unblockable, they will now say can't be blocked. Why did they do this? A few reasons. First off, to make it very clear that unblockable is not an ability. So everything we just said about indestructible definitely does not apply to unblockable. Uh, the second thing is it brings it in line with other cards. Like if you look at that, um, I don't remember his name, but it says he can't be blocked except by rogues, right? He doesn't say he's unblockable except by rogues. It just brings the wording of unblockable in line with all other cards that can't be blocked by whatever. And this is, I believe, the only change that no one has complained about. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's because it's, it's actually functionally not different. No, I can, I'm sure somewhere in the bowels of Reddit, someone has fussed about this, but I haven't seen it. I like this change just for consistency sake and to be very clear that it's not ability. Although people always, even though they didn't understand indestructible, unblockable seems a lot more intuitive, right? It seems intuitive to me that if I say creatures are unblockable this turn and then I play a creature later, that creature will also be unblockable. Whereas, yeah, because it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, but, like, but this turn isn't the way it is. Like, if I have a glaring spotlight, it's a, when you activate the ability. It says uh, creatures you control are indestructible until end of turn. I believe. Actually, let me look that up just to make sure I'm reading it correctly. But it says unblockable. Um, that's what I meant. Unblockable. Okay. Uh, sorry. Um, but uh, you hear me typing because. All right. So creatures you control gain hexproof until end of turn and are unblockable this turn. So the problem is that. In this situation, it's confusing because if I play another guy, he is unblockable 
but he does not have expert. Sure. Uh, and this is still the case. They didn't change that. It's right. still this weird thing where if I play, uh, if I activate my cleric spotlight and then I play a guy with haste, he's unblockable, but he doesn't have expert. But, at, but I think people always kind of understood that and they thought, but they didn't understand indestructible, even though it used to work the exact same way. I, I think, I it, think it just seems because like, I think unblockable, you can get your head around it. Cause it's like, Oh, it applies to this combat where exactly. indestructible kind of lasts for the entire rest of the turn. Well, the reason it's confusing is because when you make something lose abilities, like you never make something lose abilities and then go, Oh, I'm going to block it. Like that almost never happens. But with things like turn and burn, you do make things lose abilities and try to destroy them all the time. Yeah. And, and so it becomes very relevant when you're like, Oh, why isn't it dead? I don't understand. And so it's, it's, you know, it feels it's a very, very feel bad. Whereas with the unblockable thing, like, oh, okay, it's just still not blockable. There's nothing I can do about it. It's less of a gotcha. Okay. That's my opinion, anyway. Yeah. So one thing I want to bring up is literally nothing changes. Everything that works today still works. Because I've seen people asking about this card, Curtain of Light, which among a few things says target unblocked attacking creature becomes blocked. Just because unblockable is changed to can't be blocked doesn't mean that card uh, stops working. That worked works today on unblockable creatures it's actually in the reminder text for that card it will continue to work on can't be blocked creatures uh when something says uh that it can't be blocked it means creatures cannot be declared to be blockers in the declare blocker step so curtain of light continues to work for everyone worried about that let's talk about playing lands yeah let's talk about things that people are overly concerned about like if they're worried about curtain of light yeah you wouldn't okay. yeah anyway uh yeah so someone so let's talk about playing additional lands and can someone describe the system as it is today before the m14 rules changes because i don't think a lot of people understand that system and i think it helps illustrate so, why we're changing yeah so, so right now oh go on go ahead Brian, okay. go ahead i want you to right, both do well, it in unison so so i've got I've got uh, an Oracle of Muldaya in play, and then I play an Explore. Uh, I can play three lands this turn, right? Yes. So if I play a land, and then I play a second land, and then you unsummon my Oracle of Muldaya, it's confusing because do I get to play a third land? Do I not get to play a third land? And the way the rules work, don't clear it up at all, because what you're supposed to do is say, I'm playing my land for Explore, and now I'm playing my land for Oracle of Muldaya, and now I'm playing my land for my turn and you could do it in that order yep. um, and the way they're changing the rules is so that the game at any given time just wants to know how many lands i can play and that's the number of lands i can play so if i in the situation just described i have oracle i've played explore and i haven't played any lands yet if i play two lands i don't have to declare which ability i'm using if i play two lands and then you bounce my oracle of Voldaya, i am only allowed to play two lands so uh i can only uh so, so and i've already played two lands so i'm done that's it yeah so this this fixes probably one of and and I started judging uh, during uh, World Wake and the very first event that I competitive event I ever worked I actually had the guy plays a land does something opponent bolts Oracle of Moldiah and then he wants to know if he can play his his second land that was probably one of my. I'll say first five judge calls. And uh, did you, you know, did you announce which land? No, I didn't announce which land drop it was. It's like, well, you can't really assume right which it was. And the close, the closest thing you had in the in the IPG was if you know the 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 partial GRV fix for uh, failure to make a decision for permanent on the battlefield. 
<laughs> and it was just like, uh, we'll make your choice. Which land was it? It's like, oh, well, obviously it was the Oracle. And we'll die. Okay, then you can play your land. Clearly. Clearly. Yeah, right. And that kind of just kind of was like, well, you know, if you're giving them the choice, it's not really a choice. There's you know, the one that's bad for you and the one that's good for you. <laughs> and here's your GRP for a rule that nobody knows about. Right. Thank exactly. You. Yeah. So this this gets rid of that, which is much I got to imagine that's much more common than I've already played my two lands. Then I play Explore and then they bolt the Oracle and will die in response. And now so this does close one loophole. Okay. And that is that is uh, with Oracle of Moldaya, I could play the land for the Oracle of Moldaya because it was an ability to play land. And yep. then if I had a way to get rid of and recur my Oracle of Moldaya, flicker, flicker, right? Yeah. There's a new ability that lets me play another land. And I could continue to play lands as long as I had lands in my hand and kept flickering my Oracle of Moldaya, which would come up sometimes in EDH. It sounds dirty. Um, but, but I mean, I have seen it come up in some some casual EDH-type games in our, in our Commander League of the Shop, and uh, that no longer works. So that, it does close that loophole, even though it didn't come up very often. Right. A lot of this land stuff doesn't come up very often, to be 100% honest. I mean, we're talking about cards from Zendikar and World Week right now, just to even talk right. about it. Right. But it's, uh, it's funny. It's funny to watch people like on Twitter and stuff like that lose their mind over this because it's like, really, this is this is the one this is yeah. the thing that's making you upset. Well, and so let's talk about that a little bit. So one thing I've seen people upset about is I think they get confused about what putting a land onto the battlefield is versus playing a land. If you cast something like Rampant Growth and search your library and put a land on the battlefield, that doesn't count. That has no bearing on this situation. That has not changed at all. That is not the same thing as playing a land. Right. That is not the same. So uh, to to re to reiterate reiterate there we go <laughs> you this uh, system real quick. All you do, it's real simple. And honestly, when I've talked to judge candidates, this is how they think it works today anyway, um, is you just look at how many lands you can play, then you can play that many lands. How many lands have you played? How many lands can you play? That's how many lands you can play. Uh, it, is it, in my opinion, a little bit awkward for the whole, uh, the situation just brought up where I, ha I play land for the turn, I have Oracle out, I cast Explore, or let's say I have play land for the turn, I have Oracle out. I play two lands total, and then someone kills Oracle, and I play Explore. I can't play another land. Eh, that's a little awkward. But how often is that even going to come up? Yeah, that's like, that's you gotta you gotta start jumping through some hoops. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Like if you play, and you're, and you're playing the what if game. But what if? What if? But what if? Because if you so just play at this point, I think that while it probably will come up at some point, is going to come up less frequently than rules nobody knows about. Yes, that we had before. I agree. I, I'm a I'm actually a big fan of this change. I, I think even though it will never come you up, you don't get your GRV for not announcing which land drop you're using. Mm. You just get a GRV for playing an extra land. Yeah. So if you play two explorers, you can uh, play three lands no matter hey what. Now. Hey now. <laughs> hey now. Hey, that's a sensitive subject. Okay, Brian, let's talk. So about yeah, that, 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 let's just clarify that. You know that this we didn't change what happens when you play two explorers. Just for the record. Right. That that's the exact same. Nothing's changed there because explorer <laughs> lets you. So that's that's I get to play I get to play four land when I cast two explorers, right? No, let's no. not be confusing. <laughs> if you play two explorers, you can play three lands. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, that's it. That's all the rules changes, right? That's all the ones anyone cares about. That's all the ones. Yep. Let's talk about our reader email then. Mm. All right, Brian. Let's talk about let's talk about the legend rule slash planeswalker uniqueness rule, but not the world rule. Ah, lose my mind. Okay. Let's not talk about the world rule at all. 
so they're changing they're changing the EDH rule. I mean, <laughs> the EDH rule. EDH rule. <laughs> that seems to be the only place uh, people care about it. I no no. This has this has this has real implications in all formats. Um, so you know how uh, when you got when when your opponent has a planeswalker or a legend and you're like and you've got one in your hand, you're like, oh man, it I can either use this as a kill spell and that's awesome because I want to get rid of it, or you're like, hey man, I'm really bummed because I want to play my guy and if I play him, then he's just gonna die right away. So they fixed both of those situations. And by fixed, I'm using air quotes. <laughs> they just said, hey, man, you got your legendary. And uh, so the whole reason for this was like, it was like from a flavor standpoint, it was legendary creatures are special. And I summon my legendary guy. You trying to summon the same legendary guy, like reality is torn apart. And that legend guy just gets ripped into oblivion. And apparently we've decided that that's too PG-13. <laughs> Uh, for magic, um, and now uh, everybody gets their own planeswalker. So their their legend rule applies to just them. So I can have my year old and Miss Stalker, and you can have your year old and Miss Stalker, and we're going to be playing the worst game of EDH ever. Um, also, uh, there's going to be a new state based action that basically says if at any point in time you control, you know, if, if you control two legendary permanents with the with the same name, you're going to choose one of them to to go be put in the graveyard. So instead of on your side, this is on your side, you have two or more, presumably um, you get to keep one and the others go away. Uh, uh, so what this allows you to do is if you have a legendary creature that has been pacified, has pacifism cast on it, you can play your other dude, your other, uh, your other guy and, and get rid of the, the, the one with the pacifism. So you are not stuck now with that legendary creature in your hand. You know, it's like, Oh, Sure would like to be able to cast it, but I can't because then I'm going to lose both. So I have to wait until I get a third one <laughs> and then cast the second one, have it kill the first one and the second one, and then cast the third one. You can just cast the second one and do that. So, so let's talk about some interesting changes to strategy this will have in constructed, if you don't mind for a minute. I do not mind. Okay, so the first thing, and I think this is going to be the most relevant one because most of these that I'm going to talk about are actually kind of stretching for whether they're playable. But the first one's going to be Vox Opal. Yep. Uh, so Vox Opal in Affinity in Modern is probably one of the most problematic cards because you end up with these hands where you have several Vox Opals uh, and you can't play more than one because if you play a second one, they both die. And now we're going to be in a situation where I can chain them. I can go, I will tap this Mox Opal for mana, and then I'll play a second Mox Opal, and my first one dies. And I'll tap my second Mox Opal for mana, and then I'll play a third one, and my second one dies, and I'll tap that one for mana because only one's dying at a time. Um, so another no, thing that says, no, hang on, hang on, just just to make a make a note, it's not you know one's in play. I drop the second one. I then tap one, and then I have to get rid of it. This is not a trigger. You can't respond to it. Right. So what happens is I play the second one, and then as soon as I play it, I have to choose one of them to keep and one of them to get rid of before I do anything else. Right. And nobody gets to respond. You just make that choice. And then once you've made that choice, you can continue to activate ability. Yes. Um, so I didn't mean to cause confusion there. No, no, no. Uh, I just just wanted to 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 clarify since we're since we're talking about practical applications and people tend to sometimes 
times. You know, you get asked a lot when the second when the second uh, legendary creature, the second planeswalker comes down. There's always that question: Do I get to do I get to activate it before they die? No. It's uh, people have said now that's just because people don't understand state based actions. Um, sure, but so it's the same. But it's anyway, the same so thing. and mana abilities. Right. So it's this, it's still a state based action. Um, now another thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's the cute thing about Moxopol is that you can actually do this without ever giving your opponent priority because it's a com- combination of state based action and mana. Oh, no, I can't. Never mind. Because you're playing it. It's on the stack and they get respond. So never mind. Because <laughs> it's not a land. Scratch that. Um, scratch that. Yeah. Uh, you could do it with legendary lands, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, well, actually, I'll just get to it now. So Flagstone's <laughs> True Care becomes significantly less playable because you previously you could play a second one and then you'd end up getting two planes at it. Hold on, I don't I don't know what Flagstones of Trocair is. So Oh, so let me actually I'm sorry, let me read it real quick. Yeah. Flagstones of Trocair is a legendary land and it has tap add white to your mana pool and it says when Flagstones of Trocair is put into a graveyard from play, you may search your library for a planes card and put it into play tap if you do shuffle your library. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and previously, people would people would play a second one to go get two planes, and there, there were some decks that used this, and it, it's not actually that interesting. But uh, it changes how the, how that card is playable. Um, but let's talk about a more interesting legendary land that we've already talked about, and, and that is Dark Depths. Yes. Um, oh, I'm a big so, fan of this one. So uh, Dark Depths is a legendary snow land. Comes into play with ten ice counters on it. You could pay three mana to remove an ice counter from it, and when Dark Depths has no ice counters on it, you sacrifice it, and if you do, put a legendary 2020 Black Avatar creature token with flying, and this creature is indestructible. Name this Merit creature Lava. has it. This creature has indestructible. Actually, I'm reading the Oracle text, which has not changed. I know. Uh, so, so, wait. The, the, <laughs> so, wait. So after the it, important thing about this... After it turns into a uh, creature, would you say it's snow land anymore? Uh, ha, 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 uh, that's snow land. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Continue. Uh, joke was legendary uh, um, so here's what's interesting about this now i can theoretically play the second and the first one out. would die or the second one would die whichever i chose but here's where it gets fun what if i use thespian stage to copy my dark depths so if i use thespian stage to copy my dark depths i can choose to have the original dark depths go to the graveyard because i have two copies of dark depths in play and then my thespian stage is dark depths it doesn't have any counters on it uh oh! And I can immediately get my my indestructible legendary guy uh, right away. So that's a way more interesting legendary land shenanigan. Uh, and then the other one that uh, that I find fun is a card uh, from Worldwake that has seen occasional constructed play, but not really very much. Called Tuck Tuck the Explorer. Ooh. Yes, Tuck Tuck. Um, Tuck Explorer is a three mana red legendary goblin with haste. And when he is put into, the, into a graveyard from the battlefield, you put a legendary 5 5 colorless goblin golem artifact creature token named Tuck Tuck the Return onto the battlefield. Yes, Tuck Tuck the Return. So, what's really funny about this is previously, under the current rules, if I have a Tuck Tuck the Explorer in play and I play a second Tuck Tuck the Explorer, they both die because of state based actions. And then two, a, a golem will come into play named Tuck Tuck the, the Returned. And then another golem will come into play. And then they will both die 
due to state-based actions because they're both legendary <laughs> and the same name. Now, if I play a Tuk Tuk the Explorer when I already have a Tuk Tuk the Explorer, I choose one of them to die to give me an awesome 5-5 five, five golem, golem creature token. That's pretty sweet. Okay, CJ, <laughs> CJ. Yes? I need, you to, I need you to do this for the opening of the show. I just need you to splice together Jess just going tuck, 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 tuck. I need you to cut all those and splice them all together and have that be the opening of the show. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Tuck, 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 quiet speculation. Tuck, 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 tuck. Oh man, that ad really is going to ruin the oomph of the opening thing. Okay, so that's pretty sweet though. The tuck tuck, I'd love to see tuck tuck being used. All right, so just because we didn't make it very clear, so you know, like Jess says, it's fine for me to have a tuck tuck and you have a tuck tuck, and we can both have our own individual tuck tuck, the uh, the explorer, whatever the regular version of him is. Uh, by the same token, I can have Jace the mind sculptor, and Jess can have. Chase architect of thought. That's fine. Chase Bellerin, you had one job. One <laughs> job. And after these changes, you could have Jace Bellerin down and you could be like, I'm tired of this Jace Bellerin. I'm going to play Jace the Mind Sculptor because he's better. So you'll get to choose which one you want to lose. Probably Jace Bellerin. And you get to keep your Jace the Mind Sculptor. You get uh, to use your Jace Bellerin too. Yeah, that's the other thing. You can use the Jace Bellerin and then also use the Jace the Mind Sculptor. Or if you had the same Planeswalker in your hand twice, you could play one, use them, then play the other one, kill the first one. And you get to use this the new one too because they're, yeah. they're brand new. Like uh, with Sarkin Vol, right? Like if you have him like leveled up and you can use his, you can use his ultimate. Pop, get all them dragon tokens and lay another uh, Sarkin Vol. Wait, he'd probably die anyway. You can actually do that anyway because yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Nobody plays Sarkin Vol anyway. Yeah, I know. Just, I know. I'm casual kitchen table land. Tuck, 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 tuck. tuck, tuck. So, so I, I actually think if they unban Bitter Blossom, Sarkin Vol will see play in Jun decks. Okay. In modern, in uh, in that you can you can make your tokens significantly better. That or Soren, actually, probably Soren now because we have one of those. Anyway, never mind. That's not what our our podcast is about. So a few last things, like clone no longer is a uh, destroy target opponent's legendary creature. No, but you do get to copy. I mean, you get it. Yeah, you get one, and that's pretty sweet in my opinion. So uh, it's it's still there's still oh, some oh, value. That reminds me of one last functional change. I'm sorry. Go for it. Uh, is Olivia Voldaren. If I control Olivia Voldaren and you control Olivia Voldaren, this is now okay after July 13th. But what this means is that one of our Olivias can take control of the other one and just kill it. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty sweet. So you can kill your opponent's Olivia. Olivia is particularly unique in that her... Well, I guess it wouldn't matter in this situation. I was going to say her her control effect ends when you lose control of Olivia. Right. But it wouldn't matter... Now, now, um, um, Olivia, what happens when, you know, I activate Olivia to gain control of your Olivia and then in response, you activate Olivia to gain control of mine? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was getting at. But whoever activated last will just win. It doesn't matter. Uh, but but in, in the case that now that he's brought that up in the case where a player does that. You're not going to have control of the other player's Olivia ever. Uh, so, like, if I activate my Olivia and you activate your Olivia in response, you get my Olivia and my Olivia dies. My ability resolves and does nothing. Yeah, it does. Because I no longer control Olivia. Yeah. A couple of little things. Like, I feel like Evil Twin now does what it's supposed to do, which Evil Twin is just a clone with the ability uh, Blue Black Tap, destroy target creature with the same name as this creature. Yeah, it's almost like they knew this was coming or something. It's almost like they had a hint. 
Uh, I'm excited for that, though. And um, if you do have multiple legendary creatures enter the battlefield at the same time, even though state-based actions will kill them, if they have a enter the battlefield trigger, you will get both the triggers. So I don't know if there's, you know, I don't know. There's probably some advantage there somewhere. I don't know cards, but it's probably good. Okay. Anything else you guys want to say about the M14 rules changes? Uh, in two years from now, we won't care. I don't care now. I care because it's killing one of my EDH decks. From a judge perspective... I judges play EDH. It's not that no, I don't. like there's nothing hard here. Yeah, I don't really play EDH. And I'm kind of annoyed yes. that people can just clone my commander repeatedly. Like you get that clone underneath the mimic bat and I can't play my commander anymore. I don't play EDH. Fun. Let me tell you why this rule annoys me as an EDH player. <laughs> the old rule. New rules. Great. <laughs> you guys. Uh, I don't think this is likely to encourage me to play EDH, uh, but I do think it is a good rules change. Uh, I think it's going to make it a game. It's different than the previous rules, but I don't think it's bad. It's just different. And it's going to be much easier for new players to learn. And it's much easier for me to explain. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be easier to explain. I mean, it's still got, I think it's got, you know, the same number of moving parts that the other rule had, you know, like if you've got a guy and I play the same guy, they go, they blow each other up. Okay. Right, but so here's the problem is players forget that. How many times have you had to walk up to a game state and been like, excuse me, you can't have two Thalias on the field. Excuse me, you can't each have Vendillion Click on the field. Uh, and had to apply state-based actions. Like, this has happened to me a lot. And now, sure. all those judge calls, it wouldn't even matter. I don't have to say anything. Well, no, because you still walk up and you're just like, hey, you have two Thalias. Oops. Right, so it's, it's very inco- uncommon for your opponent to not immediately catch that. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen too much. Yeah. But I have seen dueling Vendillion Clicks quite frequently. Yeah, it's easy to forget that one's legendary. All right. Yeah. Okay. Are we ready for our emails? Are you ready? <laughs> uh, wow, that's a lot of emails. We have a lot of emails, particularly because last episode we did not read all of our emails because it was a long episode. So I hope. Well, wait, actually, we answered some of so these. I noticed and we just didn't move them out of the folder. No, we never read. No, I guarantee we did not. Then we discuss it. Guarantee. The one we're about to talk about, we discussed for like 30 minutes off air. So now we're going to discuss it for five minutes on air. Are you ready? I am ready. I don't think Brian believes me. No. If you heard this, if you heard this question last episode, send us an email. Now I'm reading the questions around it and it's like, I don't even know anymore. All right. First email comes from Kenneth Perry. He says in episode 57, so 10 episodes ago, you were talking about High Priest of Penance. Ten episodes ago? Yeah. No. No, the email's not that old. The email's from May 10th, but that's that. this is where his question came from. Anyway, High Priest of Penance, which reads, Whenever High Priest of Penance is dealt damage, you may destroy target non-land permanent. And said, if multiple blocks are made, it only gets dealt damage once. Can you answer if I attack with two Drog Skull Reavers? So Drog Skull Reaver is that salad finger guy? Drog Skull Reaver is a creature with lifelink flying double and the ability and double strike. And whenever you deal damage to... Whenever, uh, whenever it deals damage, you draw a card, right? Whenever you gain life, draw a card. I'm oh, sorry, whenever you gain life, draw a card. That's right, because there was a pristine talisman thing where you tap it. You can, yeah, okay. Yeah, so his question is, if I attack with two Drog Skull Reavers, how many cards do I draw? Uh, the answer to that one is you will gain eight life or eight cards because each Drog Skull Reaver will deal their first strike damage and each one will have you gain life. So each one sees two instances of gain, life gain, therefore four cards on the first strike damage, four more cards on the second strike damage. Then you might think, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, well, then Ken asks the tough question of please explain how this and High Priest of Penance are different or alike. And Jess, did you... 
Were you about to say something? I was, actually. Um, so there is a rule, and I'm trying to find the exact number, but I found this since the last time we talked. There is a rule that says, for purposes of, of abilities that trigger when you gain life, that creatures that deal that with life like the deal damage are considered separate sources of life gain for those triggered abilities. Yeah. I think you went 119.3F, which is damage dealt by a source with lifelink causes that source's controller to gain that much life in addition to the damage's other results. So- no, no, no. There's actually there's something more specific than that. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm trying to find it again now. Okay. Hold on. Keep talking. Hold on. I'll find it. Okay. Well, I'm just I'm just looking back and be like, wow, episode 57 was in January. <laughs> well, yeah, we were talking about things- high-speed sprints because it was new. Right. <laughs> right, things about stuff, gate crash edition. Because I was just like, there is no way it could be that old. So to to touch on high priest dependence for a second, to tuk, 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 on high priest dependence real quick. Uh, the reason he high priest only triggers once is because there's only one instance of damage dealing to him. So, because he reads, whenever high priest dependence is dealt damage, you may destroy target online permanent. If he's blocked by three creatures, there's still only one damage dealing event. If he said, whenever high priest of damage, or high priest dependence is dealt damage by a source or by a creature, well, that would change things. That would actually have it matter how many things were blocking it. Right. So that's where that's where this rule comes into play. I found it is one eighteen point nine. Says some triggered abilities are written whenever a player gains life. Such abilities are treated as though they are written whenever a source causes a player to gain life. Oh, okay. Yeah, that answers that real well then. Okay, so there's the difference then. Ken, that's a real tough question to start off with. Next, we have a question from James from Petoskey, Michigan. That's a made-up city. He asks, when a card says activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery, does it really mean activate only during a main phase? Uh, he's yes. asking... No. <laughs> okay. Done. Move uh, on. No, wait, wait, there's more. <laughs> he wants to know, can he use the ability in response to something? So he has an example. He says, for example, if my bear cub is targeted by a doom blade and I use birthing pod, which has the re- restriction of uh, activate this ability only anytime you can act- cast a sorcery. GRB. <laughs> in response to search for a new creature before doom blade resolves. Can he use the birthing spot in response? No. So anytime something says only anytime you can play a sorcery, it's referring to timing restrictions. It, it specifically means you can only do this during your main phase when you have priority and the stack is empty. Uh, in fact, it, it's a little more specific than that in that even if you have something that gives you sorcery splash, you still can only use abilities that you can use anytime you, you can play a sorcery during your main phase on your turn when you have priority and the stack is empty. There, there is no way, and trust me because I love, I love me some birthing pod, <laughs> there is no way to get your birthing pod to activate as an instant uh, with the currently printed cards. So you're, you're hoping for one day with that, change the text to target spell by replacing sorcery with instant? I mean, that's never going to happen. Like, <laughs> then birthing pod would be immediately be modern banned, like, boom, done. And I don't want that to happen. But but yeah, like, it's it's there's just no way to make it happen. And anytime something says that, it, it's very cut and dry. You can only use it then. Yeah. Even if you could somehow otherwise cast your sorceries at a different time. Right. And, there, and there's a rule that handles that specifically. But it's, it's just shorthand. You don't want to Right out activate this only during your main phases when the stack is empty and you have priority like that's it's a lot of text all right next he has another question uh he says he has a genesis wave which genesis wave reads reveal the top x cards of your library you may put any number of permanent cards with converted mana cost x or less from among them onto the battlefield <gasps> then put all cards revealed this way onto a uh, way that weren't put onto the battlefield into your graveyard yeah, that's right. Uh, he wants to know, he has a couple questions. Do the permanents enter the battlefield all at once? And do the permanents with landfall put into play with Genesis Wave trigger off the lands that also come into play with Genesis Wave? 
So yes and yes. Okay, good. Next question. Okay, well, <laughs> hold on. So so let's let's do uh well so they all hit the battlefield at once. Um the uh uh any auras or anything like that have to enchant something that was already there, okay? They can't like if you if you have a creature and a uh what's what's a what's a uh, madcap skills, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay. You can't put it on there. You can't put it on. You cannot put it on the creature that you are also putting into play with Genesis Wave. You have to put it on another creature or choose not to put it into play. Or if there are no other creatures, it's not coming in play. Also, um, uh, uh, clone effects too. Don't forget that. Right. Clone effects are the same thing. You got to clone something that's already there. Um, but all the permanents kind of see each other come down at the same time. That's why you are going to get all of your landfall triggers. Okay. So they all see each other come into play. The other thing, since we talked about layers in a few episodes ago, if you have okay uh, two permanents that that care about timestamps, like they interact in the in the same layer, then you are going. Even though they come down at the same time, you are going to pick which one came down for the purposes of timestamps first. And I'm doing air quotes around first because they do come down at the same time, but the game has to know which one to apply first. And so one, it's like twins, right? One's born like five minutes before the other one and gets to like hold over his head, you know, even when they're like 20 years old. It's like, oh, I'm five minutes older than you. <laughs> um, hey, yeah. next, next question. Next question. Man, you really, you really covered all the bases on that one. He went, he went real deep. Yeah. All right. Next email comes from Joe Sharphorn. I don't know if people want us reading their last name, but I do it. It's a cool last name. Yeah, I like it. Sharphorn. All right. Uh, first off, he says some nice things to us, but I can't read every nice thing that people say so to us. So many nice things. We would just run out of, we wouldn't have time for anything else. He says he has a question about the interaction that could come up in a commander deck he's building. Yeah, that always gets me excited to answer a question. Uh, how does Blasphemous Act, so Blasphemous Act deals 13 damage to each creature, and also it uh, costs one less to cast for each creature on the battlefield. So its standard cost is eight and a red. Uh, work with Jin Illuminatus. Yes. I gotta read this. He gives everything replicate. Yeah. Which for their for their convert uh, for their uh, for their mana cost. For their mana cost. And what is replicate? And, and I can actually I can actually answer this question. Uh, so replicate is two things actually. Repli- replicate represents a uh, static ability uh, that says you can pay its replicate cost when you cast it, and a triggered ability which says if you pay its replicate cost uh, when you cast the spell, it triggers makes copies uh, equals the number of times you pay the replicate cost. Um, so okay. in the so in this case, uh, Blasphemous Act costs one less for every creature, but that doesn't actually change its mana cost. It changes what you have to pay. It doesn't change what Blasphemous Act's mana cost is. So when you when you replicate it, um, that's actually before you even determine the cost of a spell with any effects. That's that's the the second step after you put it on the stack. The second thing you do is you choose modes and, and whether or not you're paying costs like replicate. And so you're going to have to pay the full cost for every replicated Blasphemous Act. Do you? I hear silence, so maybe I'm totally wrong, that's... but I'm pretty sure that works that way. I'd have to look up replicate. That's Wait, not what Brian which, said. What What did you say? Sorry, I was I was reading the 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 next one. <laughs> well, no, it's uh, uh, apparently I disagreed with you, Brian. Okay, so I said, uh, <laughs> let's see. You figure out the total cost of the spell, which if replicated is going to be if you replicate twice is twenty four RRR. 
then you apply the cost reduction of Blasphemous Act, reducing the cost by, by 16 in your example, meaning 8 RR so six, are... 16 creatures in play? Yeah. Yeah, he says, he says if there's 16 creatures in play, how much would it cost to cast Blasphemous Act and replicate it once or twice? So mm. basically, since the cost is, and I'm doing this from memory, it's 8, eight R? Yeah, 8 R. Okay, so if you're doing, so if you're going to replicate it, if you're going to replicate it once, then you're paying 16 RR. R. Okay. Oh, so sorry, that's the yeah, that's sorry. that's that's an additional cost. Then you figure out the cost reduction from Blasphemous Act, which if there's 16 creatures in play, that's going to reduce the cost by 16 generic mana. So you're just going to get RR. RR. Okay. Does that mess with what okay. you said, Jess? So, you just didn't no, know. No, that. No, 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 no. So I I missed the part where there were 16 creatures in play, but but I should have included the what if there. So yeah, basically what I was trying to say was that it doesn't reduce it once for each creature for each replicate. Oh, okay. And I thought he was asking if I cast it and replicate it once and there's one creature in play, does it cost two less? Yeah. So and it does not. Replicate like like no. kicker is an additional cost. So we do all additional costs, we add up all cost additions first, and then we do cost reductions. And it it works like every other card similar. Ugh, I don't even want to read this now. So yeah, one. so if there's so if there's twenty four creatures in play, uh you can replicate it twice for RRR and you do thirty nine points of damage to everything. Boom. Boom. Seems pretty good. Boom. Okay. All right. All right. Next one from Nicholas Childress, I guess. Yeah. In I'm just going to read my answer. I'm just going to read my answer. Just going to read what you wrote. wrote. Okay. Then I'll I'm just, just going to read what I wrote because I don't want to. I, I don't want to put any more brain power into figuring this out on okay. the fly. Again. I'm just going to read the email and you read what you wrote. Okay. <laughs> I, we could have a robot do this for us. Uh, I just want to say that I love your show and I've learned a lot from listening and hope you can settle this for me. I have an artifact deck that uses cards like Ensnaring Bridge and Portculus to stop attacks until I set up the win. I win by then playing Titania's Song, and I'll read all these cards in a second. I win by then playing Titania's Song to turn all my artifacts into creatures and then swing. My question comes into account when I play Titania's Song. It states that all artifacts become creatures with power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost. They also lose all abilities. Portculus says that if it leaves play, all creatures removed by it return to the battlefield under their owner's control. My opponent says that Porculus loses all abilities. The creatures return, but I feel that they would remain removed until Porculus actually leaves play. Oh, Porculus is weird. It has, yep. a, it has a not standard wording today. I'll, let me read Porculus's actual wording. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield, if there are two or more other creatures on the battlefield, exile that creature. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's hand, its owner's control when Porculus leaves the battlefield. Uh, and when you say actual wording, you mean Oracle text? Yes. And not what the I actual mean wording is, written on the card, you mean? Okay. I mean Oracle text. And what I mean is that is one big ability. It's not like Oblivion Ring where it's two abilities, two triggered abilities. You're just answering my question then, right? Probably. Anyway. Yeah. That's just... Um, hey, but speaking of M14, there's that worm that has wording similar to Porculus. Port, Portculus? Portculus. 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 I called it Porkculus that time, like like pig. It's like Portculus. Portculus. It's a real word. It's not made up. I, I started it's off saying it right, but near the end, I just I just lost it, okay? Um, it sounds like some sort of animal, like a porcupine and <laughs> a Edward Cullen hybrid vampire porcupine. So anyway, Brian, <laughs> read your there answer. You- what? Uh, I was uh, okay. So port, uh, port, portculus, portculus, Alice, porcupine. Um, okay, so it's an interesting card. We've gotten used to cards like Oblivion Ring and Detention Sphere and Angel of Serenity with their leave the battlefield triggers. Okay, uh, which at just a quick glance, porculus 
<laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to. Please say it right. Poor, poor <laughs> I don't even know if I can say it right anymore. You can at the Port- start, but you Port- lose it. Portcullis. 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 Damn it, CJ. Again, like CJ was saying, it's all one. Portcullis has a single ability. I can't say it right anymore. I lost it. Okay. So there isn't a, like a, a, a whenever Portcullis leaves the battlefield, uh, a, a separate trigger that you can respond to that trigger. You can play games like you can with Detention Sphere, Oblivion Ring, stuff like that. It's got the one ability, and that one ability sets up a delayed trigger uh, at the time the creature is exiled. So that trigger is going to happen regardless of whether or not Portcullis uh, I hate you. Loses that ability, so Titania Song takes that ability away. Uh, but the delayed trigger is still set up. It's still waiting in the wings over in the ether to happen. Uh, uh whenever uh, uh Porculus leaves the battlefield. So if you kill it, whether Titania Song is in play, not in play, whatever, all dudes are gonna are gonna come back onto the battlefield from from what dying what card uh portcullis <laughs> you can go to dictionary.com and have it pronounce it for you and it pronounces it exact exactly how jess said portcullis portcullis not culus quellus porculus portcullis okay all right so yes that answers that whatever um port one thing is in M14 they have a they have a a, a worm or a whale or something that has wording similar to portcullis and not like oblivion ring so I'm wondering if they're going to start templating things like that. We'll see. Where you can't do the quote unquote oblivion ring trick on them anymore. Next. <laughs> you know what new rule for judge cast no more portcullis questions. <laughs> I don't want to. Do we have like three blacklisted cards now like <laughs> Uh, yeah, no hide mine. Yeah, you can't ask questions. No portcullis. No, but portcullis is just because I don't want to pronounce it anymore. Portcullis. Actually, all questions must be about Tuk Tuk from now on. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> Tuk Tuk or Bear Cup? Or Bear Jess? Cup. Jess? What's up? I'm sorry, I, I, my microphone became unplugged and I was, didn't hear. <laughs> How do you feel about all questions involving either Tuk Tuk or Bear Cup? I think that they're just fine. <laughs> Damn it. Once again, in case people have not been paying attention, Jess refuses to say bear cub on the show. All right. Next from Ben Counter. He says, I emailed you a while ago about doubling season slash planeswalkers shenanigans. And your answer was jolly useful. Well, now after Dragon's Maze, I have a couple more questions. Let's say I have Vorel of the Holeclade, who for a couple of mana, you can tap him. And for each counter on target artifact, creature, or land, put another of those counters on that permanent. And a liquid metal coating, coating on the battlefield. So liquid metal coating lets you tap it to make a permanent into an artifact. Then he casts Tamio the Moon Sage. And she comes into play with four loyalty counters. Then he turns her into a... <laughs> this is getting complex. Into an artifact. Then he wants to know, basically, does it work to use Vorel to double the counters on Tamio? Yes! Yes. Yep. Yep. The tar- it's an artifact. It's got counters. Yeah. The targeting restriction is not non-Planeswalker. It's artifact, creature, or land. And Tamio is one of those. So now she's at eight. And because of your three-card combo, you can ultimate her. Okay. Follow up to that. He says, if so... Can I use Rings of Bright Hearth, which uh, whenever you play an activated ability, if it isn't a mana ability, you may today too. If you do copy that ability, you may choose new targets for the copy. So if he uses Rings of Bright Hearth to copy Voriel's ability again, can he then double Tammy's loyalty? Tammy, I didn't know we called her Tammy. Is that a thing? Uh, old, never mind. I'm not going to say that. No, it's not a thing. <laughs> Tell me I you. think it should be. And if so, how many counters does she end up with? 
Okay, so what happens there if you choose to double and then copy the doubling ability? Then you double, double. You double and double again. So if yeah, she so you basically four. you use the ability and then you use the ability again. It's it's very straightforward. It works exactly like he wants it to. Yeah. So you have sixteen counters on her. So hooray! Oh, I like Brian's response. Is just yep, works as you described. Oh, I won't read the second part. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I try and personalize responses back to the listeners and give them a little bit of judge cast flavor <laughs> in their email replies. Can we bottle that and sell it like as a marinade? Like yes, judge cast and, we will, and we and we will title it Porculus. Porculus. The, to make it's it sound kind of oh, so the barbecue sauce, porculus. Yeah, judge cast barbecue sauce. Make it taste like porculus. Porculus. Mmm. <laughs> All right, next one from Philip Bradbury. He opens it with, hi, cool guys. <laughs> I like this opening. He says he's a local FNM rules guy and potential aspiring judge. How are you both potential and aspiring? No, 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 he's not aspiring yet. He's thinking about oh, it. Oh, he's, he's, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's also, if he's a potential judge, that just means he's a judge, like, on a high-up platform. And if he's rolling down a ramp, then he's a kinetic aspiring judge. I got you. Physics uh, joke. He says, love the show, very entertaining, and sometimes even informative. Damn Thanks. you. Sometimes. Thanks, Philip. Uh, he said, had a question come up in a recent game. My opponent has a Haunter of Night Veil, which says creatures your opponent control get minus one, minus zero. And I have a Simic Manipulator. <laughs> he says, a lot of words, but relevant bit is that it's an O one one with Evolve. So at this time right now, it's a negative 1-1. One, one. I uh, see where this is going. He casts he casts the call side of Beck and Call, so he puts four 1-1 one, one white bird tokens on the battlefield. He wants to know, does Simic Manipulator evolve? He's, he wants to know, does having an O one one bird count as having a higher power than a negative 1-1 one, one Simic Manipulator? The short answer is yes, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. So it, a little bit of his confusion comes from um, how negative numbers work in Magic, but when it comes to comparisons about power, they work just how they work in the real world. Yep. Yep. So, <laughs> yep. So the, so the confusion comes from some things in Magic use zero whenever they would use a negative number. And the biggest thing that people think about is that if I attack with the creature with negative power, it deals zero damage, not negative damage. You don't gain life from that. Right. But you are it's still it's attacking. It's backwards lifelink. Uh, it's back trample. It deals me damage. Um, but no, like, so, so people think, oh, it must be zero. Well, in this case, it all it is is just a straight comparison, and a negative number is definitely lower than zero. Yep. So works out just fine. Now, what's going to happen there is you're going to have uh, four evolve triggers, but only one of them will actually do anything, and the other three, because of the intervening if in the evolve trigger, will do nothing. Next up from oh, it's the same. This is the, this is the same guy we've already talked about. Nick in Mason, Ohio. He says he uh, loves the show and especially the banter. I like that he. I think he's complimenting us every email. I appreciate that. Okay. Yes. His questions are pretty ridiculous because uh, they go into fake. I like the emails and especially the compliments. <laughs> His. <laughs> Let's just read the compliment and move on to. I mean, <laughs> we've already. We've already. We've already answered his question. All right. So he says he has a deck. That he's been playing for a while, but he was told it doesn't work at a recent FNM. Uh, oh, I verified this with him. He was playing the, a casual game at FNM because this, this is obviously a legacy deck. Uh, he has Teferi's Veil, which uh, whenever any creature you control attacks, it phases out at end of combat. Okay. <laughs> 
And he'll use cards like Ball Lightning or Blistering Firecat. And he also uses cards like Grafted Exoskeleton. So Ball Lightning and Teferi's Veil, for the people who don't know, is a pretty nice, I don't know if combo is the right word, but they work well together because Ball Lightning reads at the beginning of the end step, sacrifice Ball Lightning. But if it's phased out at the beginning of the end step, well, you're not going to have to sacrifice it because it's never there to trigger. So yes, that, in your in your blue, white, triple red deck. <laughs> It's an awesome combo. Okay, hold on. I'm getting to the meat of his question here. Yeah, I'm just reading this question. It's like phasing, 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 yeah. phasing, 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 cross-eyed, unearth. Okay, so his first question is, say he acts of treasons the opponent's creature and then, uh, you know, attacks with it. So Teferi's Veil makes it phase out. When does it come back? Do you guys know off the top of your head? Because I can just read it. I'd have to read uh, the card again, I think. Well, it's just Dude, phased the, out. Like he gained control of his opponent's creature with act of treason, and then it phased out. So I think doesn't doesn't it doesn't it phase back in during whoever had control of it? It phases back in during their next at the beginning of their next untap. But since the since the act of treason duration would have ended already, it phases back in under the other player's control. Yeah, that's exactly it. Is that that is really yeah yeah. I, so I hate phasing. Yeah. So, so to much. put words on it, uh, Nick's Nick act of treason's that guy. It phases out at the beginning of Nick's next untap step. It will phase back in, but it will be under the control of his opponent or the original controller, basically, because he no longer has a control effect keeping it. But he was the one that made it phase out. So it's going to phase back in. Friends uh, don't let friends play phasing. <laughs> he had a couple more questions. He wanted to know how uh, phasing interacts with Unearth in this little combo. And the answer is so. So part of Unearth when you unearth a creature is that it has a, a trigger on it. And it says exile that creature at the beginning of the next instep. This works very well, Unearth and Teferi's Veil, because at the at the uh, beginning of the next instep, that is not an ability on the creature. That is just uh, a delayed trigger set up by unearthing it. And it will trigger at the beginning of your next instep, even if the creature is phased out. And it will try to exile it, but there's no creature. It can't see it because the creature is phased out. And so you get to keep your unearthed creature forever. Now, um, because of the way unearthed work, it's kind of like a flashback. If, if that creature dies, there's still a replacement effect that'll make it go to uh, exile instead of anywhere. But you'll never have to worry about that exile trigger again. And finally, so Grafted Exoskeleton is a card. It says a creature gets plus two, plus two, and has infect. And whenever a Grafted Exoskeleton becomes unattached from a permanent, sacrifice that permanent. He likes to equip that to a creature and then have the creature phase out once again due to Teferi's Veil. Uh, he had an opponent that told him that when the exoskeleton indirectly phases out with the creature that's phasing out, uh, the exoskeleton becomes unequipped. Is that true? No. no. It is not true. Yeah. So for people who don't know, if you have a bear cub with grafted exoskeleton on it and you make the bear cub phase out, everything attached to it phases out with it. So equipment and um, auras will phase out with it. But they never become unattached or anything like that. They will phase back in. All right. Attached. Here's one for you. Great. I got a bear cub equipped with grafted exoskeleton, and I phase out the grafted exoskeleton. Why would this ever matter? Shh. <laughs> uh, I, I know there is a rule that specifically handles whether or not something remains attached. But I don't... It's, not, it's not considered unattached. For the, there's, a, there's a rule that says yeah. no. As I was say, but I don't remember okay. which way it goes. Jess? <laughs> Are, are you saying that bear cubs equipped with grafted exoskeletons and the grafted exoskeletons being phased out is never going to happen in a tournament setting? Basically. I would agree with that. 
Now if we made it now if we made it modern legal and called it the room claw bears, it's wait, no Vale's not modern legal. Crap. Phasing isn't modern legal. Shh. Well that's why I was like Teferi's Veil. Crap. I don't know, man. They haven't spoiled all of modern masters yet. Yes, they have. (laughs) (laughs) They actually have. All right, next. (laughs) Yeah, what are your thoughtsies about that? Uh, that's pretty good, actually. Is it is Thoughtseize in this? In this? No, 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 it's not. People are upset. Which about means, it. which means it's oh, reprint. Which means lose their mind when it's a judge foil. It's either you a judge know. foil or it's a reprint in like M14 or Theros. Yeah, they're and, gonna lose their mind if it's a judge foil. It's like, oh, the judges get all the, you know, zowed in the one eye. Such expensive judge foil. Oh my god. Yeah. Hey, we have another one from Nick. <laughs> Nick is sending us fun questions. Uh, once again, he says, "Love the show. I've been listening. We get we get a little bit more of Nick's history every email. I enjoy it." Uh, he says, "I've been listening starting with episode one since I found it about two weeks ago. Wow! And just finished the Judge Conference series from September 2011. So before we old. did the show, he's I, not he's not even he probably doesn't even know that we're the hosts. That's correct. He doesn't. He, there's no way he does. He says I'll catch up someday as I've been listening to at least two episodes a day, but." If he's at the judge conferences, then he hasn't caught up to us. I know. It's just who are these people replying to my emails? Exactly. He's, this is awesome. Uh, he says, in that time, you have answered my emailed questions about Titania's song, Port Cullis, and Teferi's Bale. You guys are awesome. Now on to the questions. He's never heard us actually talk about his answers. Yeah. Uh, so basically, he wants to know what happens. I'm not going to read this whole thing. He wants to know what happens when you have two possibility storms out. Nicholas, I hate you. Nicholas, I love you. He's Did you gonna, guys be more creepy? Just, just he's not gonna he's not gonna hear this until 2014. Come bleed with us, Nicholas. <laughs> All right, take it back. Two Don't be more creepy. <laughs> wow. Bantercast. Two possibility right. storms. Someone tell me. Oh, possibility. Uh, you 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 exile the card and then you get to. Look through or uh, flip cards off the top of your deck so you cast one, and then you flip cards again until you cast one. Yeah, and you, you get, get them both. You get them both. Yeah, you get to cast two spells. It, uh, it, casting the spell is not conditional on actually exiling the card, so it doesn't matter. I'll let the the listeners read Possibility Storm on their own time. Ain't nobody got time for that. Nobody got time for that. Next up, a question from not Nick. This is from Adam from Asheville. He says, love the podcast, guys. I've been listening for a long time and you can listen to all the archived episodes from the beginning. Wow, you people. I have to say, I like the way you three do the show. Oh, oh, I like this. <laughs> I like the way you three do the show the best over the other hosts in the past. Keep it up. Ding. 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 Deal with that, Ricky. Sean. Sean. Jose. Jose. That's right. Uh, <laughs> why do cards like Act of Treason and Zealous Conscripts give the stolen creature haste? Um, yeah, there's, well, there's no reason to read the rest of what he has. Yeah, there. yeah. So, so basically, the reason you give him haste is because a creature has what's informally called summoning sickness, which means it can't attack and can't use abilities that have the tap symbol. So it's summoning sick, unless it has started the turn on your side. Okay, or as active player, it starts the turn on your side. So since most of this stuff, I mean, most of these things are, you know, instants and sorceries and that kind of those things, they're going to happen somewhere in the middle of the turn um and uh so if you stole the creature uh and it didn't have haste you can't attack with it because it is summoning sick it's kind of woozy yeah um yeah and that's also why can uh, a lot of those abilities also untap the creature too uh because if it's 
if gaining control of it and giving it haste, if it's tapped, is also kind of a downer. <laughs> It'd be weird if they oh. just printed just one card that just didn't give it haste. Uh, I think there's there's like one card, there's like a few cards that don't actually untap, I think. Yeah. That, that give you control of it, but don't untap it. Uh, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. I'll look that up offline. I'll answer this next one. He says, I know you can redirect damage from a burn spell to hit a planeswalker. My question is, can you do the same with other effects that specifically cause loss of life and not damage? So a thing about if I lightning bolt Ryan to the face, then it does three damage to him. And that three damage has a result of three loss of life. If I do three, if I lightning bolt uh, Jace, that three damage has the result of the loss of three loyalty counters. The whole point of this is a Planeswalker does not have life, and they cannot have loss of life. So if something says a uh, target player loses three life, I cannot redirect that to a Planeswalker because it is not damage. It is loss of life. It is a different thing. This final question is for Jess because he's a, he's the final question that Adam sent us is for Jess because he's a modern master. If I counter my opponent's grape shot, does he still get the storm copies? And if so, is it possible to counter those copies? Uh, well, short answer, yes and yes. We've had a lot of that today. <laughs> uh, so, yes, you can counter Grape Shot if he casts it. Uh, but when he casts it, before you can respond, the Storm Trigger will go on the stack. And that trigger is what will create all of the copies. So whether or not you counter the spell, that trigger is still going to resolve and, and, and uh, take care of the copies. Now, um, the, your second question is, basically, is there anything I can do to stop that? Uh, and yes, yes, you can. Um, in I think you could even do it in modern, since we're talking about modern. Uh, let me make sure that card is modern legal. Hold on. Do, 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 do. Yes. Okay. So, uh, trick find. Oh. Uh, trick find is a modern legal card that has split second and says counter target activated or triggered ability. So, if you cast trick find targeting the storm trigger, then you will stop it from making all of the copies, and it will uh, it will basically do nothing. But you, the problem here is that you have to actually counter both of them. Now, if you really want to keep your opponent from going off the storm, then what you need to be playing is mind break trap. Uh, if you're worried about counter spells, because mind break trap will uh, basically they're going to cast a bunch of abilities anyway, just so they can go off the storm. And mind break trap lets you cast it free if there were uh, three or more spells cast this turn. And what you do is you wait until the storm trigger resolves and makes all the copies, and then there's you know half a million spells on the stack, and you cast mind break trap, which lets you exile any number of target spells from the stack, so you target all of them, the copies and the original, like get rid of all of them at once. Yay, trick bond. <laughs> trick bond. All right. So time time stop will also work. It's less it's less sexy. Sure, but I mean that's that's you could answer about half our questions with time stop will also work. So <laughs> next from Brian T. Uh, he says, I just wanted to drop a note and say I really enjoyed episode 66 regarding the various modern deck interactions. Well, that one's all for Jess, then. That was his idea. Thank I, you. I think it was it was an interesting episode. It was, it was... Actually, I think that was Brian's idea. Uh, well, he wanted to do modern. And I, 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 I wanted to do abilities in modern. You wanted decks, to do the decks. Rather than, yeah. the, uh, yeah. rather so it was... than just mechanics. So he... I'll say it was a collaborative effort. Sure. Every episode is a collaborative effort. Portcullis. Okay. One interaction I think you guys should have went over regarding uh, was regarding Blood Moon. Oh, sorry. One interaction I think you guys should have went over regarding Blood Moon was when it is paired with Urborg Term of Tome of Yawgmoth. I... <laughs> so Blood Moon, non-basic lands or mountains, Urborg Term of Yawgmoth. Each land is a swamp in addition to its other land tops, types. 
and it is also a non-basic land. And this is a uh, dependency. This is like the the example for dependencies. And I think we didn't go over it just because everyone knows in the end everything's a mountain. Well, also because in our episode on dependencies, we went over this. Yes, that's also yeah. which was which was not that long ago. No, so it was possibly missed the episode, or but, you know, maybe we should have gone over it because it is relevant. But it is also an example we talked about kind of at length, if I remember correctly, in our dependencies episode. Yes. Yeah. Brian, if you enjoyed episode 66 so much, maybe you should go back and enjoy the Layers episodes, too. <laughs> I hear they got information about Blood Moon and Urborg, Tomb of whatever. And Urborg, the one that and makes Urborg. the first strike. All right. He also has a little suggestion that we one day do an episode on Two-Headed Giant, which I think is probably something we should do one day. We should. Okay. But let's not, let's cut this out. But only two heads. <laughs> well, I would say let's cut it. Let's cut this part out so that Judge Cast North can't steal the idea. Mm, no. Okay. Uh, so far, we got a uh, an error free show where I'm not going to edit anything out. So no, let's keep it rolling. Well, I was I was kind of kidding. We call dibs. <laughs> Judge Cast North. Dibs. Dibs. You're not going to edit the tech 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 part out and then put it at the beginning. Well, not edit it out. Yeah. Hey, next email from Thomas Linford. He says, "Hey, duders." This found out about your cast and my head is exploding. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going crazy tonight. Um you said hey duders? Duders, yeah. So he has like, a question. Like who? D-U-D-E-R-S. Love this guy. Uh he has a question about the legend rule post post M14. He has an opening hand with two gemstone caverns. Gemstone Caverns reads, if Gemstone Caverns is in your opening hand and you're not playing first, you may begin the game with Gemstone Caverns in play with a luck counter on it. If you do, remove a card in your hand from the game. Uh, and then it has an ability, but who cares about that? It, it can tap to add a mana to your He wants to know, if you have an opening hand with two Gemstone Caverns and you are not playing first, will state-based actions force you to sack one before you can activate it? Yes. Yes, we already talked about that. Yes, but this is this is actually so, kind of kind of funny because you're starting the game with them and you make it all the way through your untap, which is really near instantaneous, and then you get to your upkeep and then they go both go or they may. I mean, sorry, you make it through an un because uh, you're not going first. You make it through an untap, but they get blowed up during upkeep. Yeah, the first upkeep. All right, so 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 Duder, how this works is <laughs> your gemstone <laughs> homies. <laughs> Uh, stay and play. <laughs> please don't, please don't ever say that they, again. They please ride, say it every time. He, he untapped won't, all the he way won't say bear cub. He won't say bear cub, but he'll say duders and homies. homies. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, this next one's not really a question, but I thought it was a nice story. And, and we have this terrible policy of reading everything everyone emails us. So next one's from Eric Crump. He says, hello, fellow judges. He, I just want to take a few minutes and thank you for the podcast. I passed my L1 test yesterday and your podcast played a large role in it somehow. He didn't write the word somehow. I added that. He says, I came into magic from a poker background. I was an online grinder before Black Friday took that away. I needed another outlet. And since a lot of magic players went to poker, I decided to go the other way. Like in poker, I dug into magic and I've been pretty consumed by it. I found your podcast when I was trying to gobble up all the information I could. Since I started playing just before Innistrad, I never considered judging to be an option for me. There are so many old cards and stuff that I didn't know about that it seemed daunting, uh, seemed too daunting of a task. The more I listened to your show, though, the more I gained some confidence. I began to realize that all I really had to do was read the card, know the rules, and I could figure out any situation. Well, mostly. 
Since I also have a background in teaching and as a mentor, I finally decided to pull the trigger and explore magic from the judging side. I'm still super competitive and want to smash tournaments, but being a judge also fulfills the other side of me. It is rewarding to help others at my local game store and to assist the other PTQ grinders with rules interactions to give them more ammunition. I think it also gives the players some comfort to have an older person they can turn to and have confidence in to assist them. I'm glad to provide this role. Thanks again for the show content and for opening this opportunity up for me. Oh, Eric. Oh. I mean, he didn't call us duders or anything, but he did. He said fellow judges. I think that's that's nice. Yeah, well, he passed his own one test the day before. So, yeah, fellow judges. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I, 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 I like I like hearing emails like this. I like getting emails like this. You know, it always it it, it warms my heart i'll i'll use that expression uh to to hear to hear like hey you guys helped us uh you helped me make a one you helped me do this you helped me do that Mm -hmm. love it love it love it um uh, so send us emails telling us that even if you have to lie just tell us tell us you love us tell us you love us please Uh, he also wanted to know if any of us will be at gp vegas which i will not brian prilliman obviously will and jess you're going to play i will be there Smashing people's faces with uh, with all them modern cards. Are you gonna be uh, there? Probably, are you gonna be there? I'm gonna be there. I'm definitely gonna be there Friday. I'm gonna be grinding. I don't know if I because being the judge, unfortunately, leaves me with less time to uh, to play. So since I got my job with Channel Fireball, uh, I went from having a consistent two buys to having a consistent zero. Uh, and so I'm gonna be grinding on Friday. I don't know yet if I'm gonna be playing in the M13 draft grinders because I expect those to be pretty soft, or if I'm gonna be. Uh, playing in the modern grinders uh probably modern honestly um but i'll be there sweet that is sweet well i will try and say hello to you on friday evening before things please get do. before things get crazy um can yeah, you well, please when wear you get your... to town give me give me you know give me a call when okay. you get to town we'll where your where your stormtrooper uniforms i'll be able to identify yes you. please do that i'm good <laughs> what in, in just the helmet just, just the, helmet, just the helmet no you don't actually have to wear the the neck down part of the uniform uh i don't actually i don't actually have that anymore for those for those that uh are I listening can't see your picture uh, on skype right you now can't see my my skype profile picture uh for halloween in 2009 i was uh i, was, I went as a stormtrooper and i had a really pretty good costume it wasn't amazing but uh it was all right and uh so that's my my picture actually that was a great halloween because it was a group of that went as stormtroopers and one stormtrooper is like and eh, whatever but a group of stormtroopers is actually kind of intimidating <laughs> kind of awesome all right let's let's do our last email and then we're finally caught up on emails yay andrew parnell i feel like by the way we we've been getting more emails so we might have to not read every email in the future we'll see i think we might have to we might have to turn it into every few or a few weeks having like an email episode yeah maybe something like that i think that actually be fine which i think people really like the emails like that's a lot of people will say that's their favorite part of the show so and not just the part where we try to explain something do they really i've heard that quite a few times anyway if this is the favorite part of your show of the show send us an email <laughs> send us an email <laughs> uh from andrew parnell he says hey guys thanks for continuously putting out a great podcast quick question that i have had different responses on if i play progenitor mimic which is that new bro he's a he's a clone but he also maintain retains the ability of at the beginning of your upkeep if this creature isn't a token put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of that creature so basically he clones something and he keeps putting a token out that is 
that thing. By the way, he he has some interactions with M14 rules once those go in effect, cloning a legendary creature and then getting a new one every turn. Anyway, but in this case, he has a progenitor mimic uh, copying an activated Dimir Kiru. What does he get? And what will the copy get be? The copies that the trigger makes. <clears throat> Okay. So first, first off, I, I think I told him that in future emails he needs to give us more praise. Yes. Because because we read these things on the air, we expect we expect we expect more from you. Which he said he said um he did he did promise that the next time he'll he'll double up yeah, on it. He's gonna start thinking of compliments <laughs> now, so he's ready. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So uh, we we talked about this in the in the layers episode. The uh, uh, the normal example that everyone uses is a mirror weave and an animated uh, mutavolt but it's basically the same the same thing when you copy a creature you basically get a copy of the card okay and in this particular case i have an artifact that has an animate effect on top of it so when you copy that creature okay it is a creature but what you're copying is the card underneath the animation effect so you are getting a unanimated key rune that has the progenitor mimic ability that allows you to put a token copy of itself uh, during each upkeep. So, uh, yeah, you're just going to be able to barf out key runes. Um, now, you can animate it and, and make those into creatures and swing with them if you want. Right, but but your progenitor yeah. mimic, when it enters, will be an unanimated Demir key rune. Right. I have a question. Does it have summoning sickness? Can I tap it for mana? It's not a creature, dude. Oh, okay. So yes and yes. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, right. It was like you, you asked, your response was like, is there a trick then? No, no. I mean, because it, it, it was a clone, you know, if you clone an animated key rune. It still, it was a creature on the stack. You know, I don't know. I, I, it was just a follow-up question, okay? It's no big deal. Summoning sickness is not a copyable characteristic. The, well, no, it does have summoning sickness, but it doesn't matter because it's not a creature. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> we used to do that and it drive my dog crazy when I had a dog. Um... <clears throat> Okay, yes. If you want to send us an email, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also feel free to follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. Did I do that right? I think I did. I think I got it. Additionally, you could visit our website at judgecast.com. Judgecast. Tuckcast. Tuckcast. <laughs> All right. You guys have anything else you want to add before we uh, sign this bad boy off? No, sir. Lock it. Ship it. Okay. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I would like to remind everyone that the M14 rules changes do not take effect until July 13th. I hope everyone has a good day. My name's Cedar Trader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. And I'm Brian Perlman. I keep it peculiar. <laughs> That's right. It's a, it's a peculiar way to end the episode. Now we're on CJ's call, because CJ no. didn't pick up Brian's call. Yeah. I wasn't on the computer yet. Well, excuses. you and your excuses. Holy crap. I know, right?